You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 22nd of June 2018 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Andrew Muller on today's show. And I also like to ask you how I can help to these children to reunite with their families uh, you know, as quickly as possible. Yes, thanks for your input. Has Donald Trump's latest fiasco been too much even for Donald Trump's supporters? My guests, Sophia Ahmadi, Melkin Charchoglian and Fernando Augusto Pacheco will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including the World Cup. What if Brazil replace Argentina as everyone's preferred villain? Mexico's upcoming election and the now That's What I Call Music series turns 100. That's all coming up on Midori House on Monocle 24 right now. So, welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Melkin Charchoglian and Sophia Armadi. Welcome all. And let us start with a continuation of the rigorous and informed analysis of the World Cup that our listeners have come to expect ever since last week. The key development of the first week is clearly, clearly, that Australia's march to glory remains a live prospect so long as, as far as I understand it, the Socceroos beat Peru on Tuesday and France neither draw with nor lose against against Denmark just to spite us, though now that I say that out loud, that is clearly the kind of thing they would do. Uh, I believe that a few other teams have also played some games, but, you know, who cares? Um, I, we, we do, as we established last week, around this table, support a, a diversity, if not an outright panoply, um, of teams competing at the World Cup. So I want to ask each of you in turn, I'll start with Melkin and go around that way, um, a visual direction which is of no help to our listeners. Uh, how is your team doing? I'm supporting Russia at the moment, and they're doing superbly. Would you be supporting Russia if they weren't doing superbly? Uh, yes, I think so, because as I said, I think it was two weeks ago, Armenia, my home country, isn't at uh, the World Cup. That is uh, true. I don't really like supporting the English team because I find them arrogant and deluded. So I chose Russia. These are the views of Milk and Charchoglu, not the, the panel as a whole. Um, what is your email address again? Uh, in, it's anyway. FP at one point. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so you're supporting Russia and it's going well. Eight goals in the last two games, some phenomenal goals. You know, they've not, they've not faced the hardest opponents, but they've really torn them apart. Have you seen the statistic, statistical analysis of ground covered during the games, which suggests that Russians are running further and faster than anybody else at the tournament? They seem extremely extremely energetic i am wow. making no insinuation beyond <laughs> beyond that observation but they they seem almost tireless you know what the sad thing is that's an actual possibility <laughs> that there is what, some but they're of... just extremely strong and they've been training very hard what else could i be referring to well exactly that um as, as, as sophia how are your how are your chaps doing they're they're not doing too bad i wouldn't say as well as as mel with sort of his eight goals there but iran are definitely i mean we're still here uh i think their match against spain was not as bad as predicted. I think one nil is is much better than we could it have is hoped. Is no from. disgrace. Exactly. Um, and like I said, like I said, I stick to my guns as last week. We have a strong defence, so I think it will be interesting to see how they play against Portugal on Monday, especially given the fact that their own manager is actually Portuguese. So, do you know off the top of your head what actually needs to happen for Iran to go through to the last sixteen? They have to, I think, 
draw with Portugal on Monday. If really? I'm is that all they need to do? I think so. Because obviously Morocco is now out. Obviously. So I think it depends. Well, I also think it depends on how the other games play out. I would be lying if I said I knew the exact circumstances <laughs> for Iran to I go through. I think they need to win. However, I do watch with admiration uh, and great pride. Uh, and Fernando, this, this brings us to the increasingly wretched tale of Brazil. We did watch some of that game <sighs> this did. afternoon we in did. which they just fell over the line uh, in two last, with two last-minute goals uh, against Costa Rica. Um, you are, though our listeners will not be aware of this, wearing not only a Brazil shirt, uh, but a Brazil shirt with Neymar's name on the back of it. Are you tempted at all to, at the very least, pick those letters off it? Well, I was almost actually... Honestly, this is not a joke. I was going to buy a T-shirt here on the on on, on our shop very Listeners, close. Listeners, this is true. I was there while yeah. Fernando wrestled I, with I, his I was, ethical dilemma. I was severely embarrassed, and my mother was texting me from Brazil saying, "I detest Neymar since he was a young boy. <laughs> <laughs> we hate him." So since it, it, I saw his face yes, in the cradle, but suddenly two goals came, and then everything changed. And now I'm happy and confident in wearing the shirt. I am very disappointed about some of his attitudes, but of course, as you support Brazil, we have. It's not all about Neymar. We have Felipe Coutinho. He scored a goal in he each play very game. Well. Yeah, so, you know, we have some nice young players that, uh, you know, I think we're going to win this World Cup. <laughs> well, let's, let's <laughs> not <laughs> get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> not, 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 not while Australia still have something to say about it. But on the subject on the subject of Neymar, uh, we should stress for listeners who may have list- missed it that he, he staged preposterously, even by his standards, for a penalty, uh, which was then overturned when the when the referee took a look um, at the video replay. Uh, we've talked before, Fernando, about how the World Cup is a great branding opportunity for nations, a great sort of arena in which to wield one's soft power, and how important this has always been for Brazil. And Brazil have, and quite reasonably, presented to the world this team known for playing beautiful, joyful football in sort of good heart and fine spirit. Is that rep- reputation under threat if the face of Brazilian football is, not to put too fine a point on it, a whining, diving, petulant cheat with stupid tattoos and an idiotic haircut. Funnily enough, it is under threat. I mean, as you can imagine, I was going to buy a new t-shirt that I don't need it to spend. <laughs> so, you know, that's how... Uh, I, I was I was afraid that people would throw eggs on the street. Maybe maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking too much about those things. But but it is embarrassing. But at the same time, I mean, he's young. There's a, an immense pressure. I mean, you ha- you guys have no idea how oppressed street name are. I mean, even my mother is saying that she detests him. <laughs> so it, 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 is, it is quite some pressure. I can understand a little he bit. And I'm not a big fan, but, you know, we should, we should, we should relieve him. He lacks bit. humility. Yeah, I think he lacks yeah. humility. And, and, a nice I, I, and, well. and, and I think Malcolm may have just won the award for understatement of the century. <laughs> right there. Neymar lacks humility. Yes, yes, he does. In, in, in much the same way that he lacks wings and flippers. He, he, does, he does lack humility. He scored a goal today, so ah, come on. Boo. Um, I also want to ask each of the three of you, and I'll go around the same way. Do you have so far a favourite moment? Mine is obviously... Um, Australia's thunderous penalty equaliser against Denmark, which which I was kind of annoyed about as a, as a militant objected to all forms of video replay, uh, the fact that we benefited from it. I, I had mixed feelings at that moment, as I had mixed feelings about Neymar, uh, amusing though it was, uh, to see him not get the penalty he'd staged for. Do you have a favourite moment, Melkin? I think, well, a lot was made of the Japanese fans staying behind that and cleaning the stadium. 
Uh, so, did, so did the Senegalese fans, well, in fairness. Exactly, and that's what I want to say. Thank you, Andrew, you stole my favourite moment. Sorry. The Senegalese did that as well, but nobody nobody spoke about them. I was like, oh, it's so Japanese, it's brilliant. They stayed to clean up the stadium, whereas the poor Senegalese got it's, absolutely it's amazing, no credit. It's amazing how much traction you get how quickly when your nationality conforms to stereotype, whether good or bad. People, Because obviously the this is conforms completely to the reputation oh, yeah. that, people, that the Japanese have. And so, yeah, like, but you're right. The, the fact that the Senegalese were also tidying up after themselves went uh, largely unremarked upon until now. Um, Sophia, do you have a, a favourite moment? I think like Mel, it was a lot of moments that have been not specifically within the game, but more these sort of stories that are approaching as a result of what's been going on at the moment. And then one moment for me that I, I really loved uh, reading about and also seeing pictures and watching was the fact that when, oh, going back to obviously Iran, as I always do, but when <laughs> Iran played Spain, uh, women were f for the first time officially allowed to enter uh, a stadium in, in Iran to actually watch the game, which was quite a big deal. Obviously, nothing has been done. It's a huge and massively overdue deal. Exactly. And obviously nothing has been done about officially changing any sort of legislature as such. But this sort of moment uh, that these women were allowed to come in, take part, witness, and also quite a, a big deal for them playing Spain. Um, obviously, we are not exactly poised uh, to be to be that successful in the World Cup and especially against such a such a team like Spain. But I think it was such a great moment to see all these women being able to sit down next to the men, you know, with the men uh, and watch the game. And I think that was a really special moment moment coming out of this. Fernando, very quickly. Well, I've learned the art of betting. I didn't know oh, how God. you can bet. <laughs> it's and, called the gambling And, and with 32 years old, I've learned and I and I got the, co the correct result for England and Tunisia, for example. So it's been a very interesting experience. You, you also <laughs> called the correct score between Nigeria and Iceland. Exactly. So, yeah, if you want yeah, to know it, the it, results, it, just call me. It, Fernando's it, it, rain it, man, basically. It, it does turn out, listeners, that, that Fernando is some kind of weird sage. This is the other thing <laughs> we have learned. We're all now incredibly rich as a result. <laughs> uh, let, let's move along now to something entirely less cheerful. Uh, the United States, where President Donald Trump is continuing to blame everybody but himself for the introduction of his own immigration policy and crediting nobody but himself for its reversal. Adding further to the general air of dignity, compassion and competence, which has distinguished a week remarkable even by Trump standards, First Lady Melania Trump decided to visit Texas, frontier of the immigration crisis, and decided to do it wearing a coat, graffitied with the gnomic statement, I don't really care, do you? Debate now rages as to whether this was a subtle satire of a trivial news media, a coded signal to her handlers in the Lubyanka, or confirmation that she is as monumental a goose as the man she married. Um, Sophia, is there any chance at all she didn't know what she was doing? I don't think she wears an awful lot of stuff that comes from Zara. No, I doubt it. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do think it was a very poor decision. I mean, uh, one has to look at it on two levels. First of all, as a lot of people have said, you know, she was a former model. So I think this whole idea with image and um, taking a lot of investment interest on how one looks is very, very important. But now on a different level, she is the first lady of the United States. It has a much bigger message what she wears, a political message. Um, and I think it was something that has to be very carefully planned. And it obviously was just completely overlooked here. Um, Do you really think she didn't know what she was doing? It has been pointed out elsewhere that there's this coupled with the fact that a couple of high-profile Trump aides have made a point this week of going out and having dinner in Mexican restaurants. Yeah. Are, are they just flipping us off? Um, 
I wouldn't, I don't know whether I would say that. But I mean, again, this is not the first time that she's received criticism for her sort of wardrobe choices. We saw her walk off a plane in stilettos. I think it was uh, sort of last year when she went to a hurricane relief zone. So again, she always has these questionable choices when it comes to her wardrobe. And one would think she would learn from previous lessons with uh, the media attention she has received. Uh, Again, debatable. I think it would be hard for due to um, the amount of planning that does or should go into what they wear and the image that obviously they give off. It's surprising that this did happen. But at the same time, I do think it was... I mean, it's pretty surprising she was wearing a jacket at all uh, visiting Texas in June. It's not necessarily something you really need to pack. Um, Melkin, what do you think? I mean, because, again, it's it's the most obvious point, and you can play this game all day, the, the what if the Obamas did it. But if Michelle Obama had worn that coat to literally anything at all, the Republican Party would have burned Washington to the ground. It's hugely inappropriate. Um, but in her defence... We do know that she's been at odds with her husband on numerous occasions. That you, well, ju- how could you not be? Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and um, several days before um, this coat debacle, she did release a statement along with several other first ladies of the United States saying, you know, we, we object to the separation of uh, children and parents. Um, so she was going against uh, Trump's decision making. So to then wear that jacket and effectively say, actually... I'm on the same side as my husband. I really don't care. It, I can't. I can't imagine that sort of paradoxical thinking. You know, she, she's on one side, then she's on the other. We do know that you know, the Trump administration has cut lots of aides and staff from the White House. It is possible that the person in charge of making her wardrobe decisions, or just being like Melania, are you sure you want to wear that? Got fired when they moved into that White House. So it could just be like you know, she makes these decisions. There's no one there to. Um, to uh, have some oversight. Fernando, it it does raise what it increasingly seems to me is the eternal question of this administration, which is, are they being actively, deliberately and willfully malicious, mendacious and mean-spirited, or are they just all chronically half-witted? Do they just literally have no idea at all what they're doing? I think they're being malicious. I actually don't find Trump such an incompetent guy. I actually think This is controversial. Yeah, no, he does. I think he does get what he wants. And I think the reality is, I mean, he does approve a very inhumane policy. And the only reason why he's trying to change or getting some credit out of it is just because, you know, the press and, you know, he saw the reaction and he he's a very smart man. He said, oh, uh, of course, I don't want... That's to... very controversial. For well, me, it's very controversial, but, but, but it's true. I, I think it's part of the, of some of the policies of his aides as well, of some, some of the people surrounding him, just inhumane. Uh, and, and I think some of the, his voters probably want that, this is strict uh, immigration policy, of course, when you add the children, you know, some, some some people might change their minds because it becomes such a, an emotional thing. But well, I, that's my view. So. Could I jump in? Well, the, the executive order that he's written allows for the indefinite detainment of, mm. of families, you know, whether the children are there or not. Children officially are not allowed to be detained for longer than 20 days. So now that they've, you know, uh, they had this massive mess up, um, then they've released executive order. Now they're going to detain them indefinitely under the guise of all the, the, this massive chaos. And they're going to hope that, you know, a, a court in the United States, a judge, approves for the indefinite detainment uh, of, of families. It's almost as if it's a very smart play-by-play. We cause this sort of human rights chaos, then we make sure that we can secretly keep, keep them for indefinite periods of time and get a judge to approve it. Uh, Sophia, is... Well, 
Is it the problem? No, it's a part of the problem. Is part of the problem here that this circus, which we've witnessed over the last few days, has just made it that little bit less unlikely, unlikely though it already was, that any sort of serious, sane and rational discussion about immigration is ever actually going to occur in the United States? I think it's definitely delayed the process. I I mean, they're finding it hard at the moment to get anything through Congress with these bills that obviously they've put forward. Yesterday, we saw the rejection of the more um, conservative bill that was proposed um, to Congress, which obviously had nothing to do with sort of paving a way for citizenship for the Dreamers. Uh, And now this sort of compromise that's emerged allows that, but also uh, brings in the border wall again. And I think what a lot of people and what we've witnessed uh, over the last week, especially, is this sort of shift in the dynamics on immigration policies and the fact that the the GOP itself is very, very, very divided when it comes to this particular issue. And it has been for several months. So I, despite also the fact that we know that the Republicans have control of both congressional chambers as well as the White House, I think they're going to find it very hard to push through anything without the Democrats' support. Uh, And especially, they're going to need to start uh, turning uh, some of their own voters within their own party uh, towards what they want to achieve. Because at the moment, it's not going anywhere. And I don't see, even though I think there's a vote supposed to be later on today, I really don't see anything being passed for Trump to sign um, by, by by the end of Friday. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. You're listening to Midori House with me, Andrew Muller, along with Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Sofia Armadi, and Milken Charchogli. And coming up next, Mexico's elections. Subscribe today to become part of the Monocle family. From product design to the best places to go, Monocle will bring a monthly dose of fresh ideas to your door. Being part of the family also comes with a 10% discount at the shop and online as well as unlimited access to our online archive. In addition, you will enjoy priority access to selected product collaborations and receive exclusive offers and invitations around the world. Subscriptions start from £55. For more information, visit monocle.com forward slash subscribe. You're back with Midori House with me, Andrew Muller. Still with me are Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Sofia Armadi, and Melkin Charchogli. And, and let's take a look now at the contest to choose Mexico's next president and therefore the person who will have possibly the most difficult relationship to manage with Donald Trump. High bar, though, that represents. Mexicans vote on July 1st and polls are suggesting that the time of veteran leftist Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, former mayor of Mexico City, may have come at last. This is the 64-year-old's third tilt at the presidency um fernando is is does if he wins and polls suggest he's going to will this be another example of a thing trump really doesn't want to happen happening because of trump well it's part of it but because to be honest with you andrew all the candidates in the mexican elections are against trump because you're not going to lose votes in mexico beating up on donald trump no i mean i i I, I think (laughs) correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think there's a candidate saying well you know we're going to create an amazing relationship with trump because it's just important possible. I mean, I think clearly nobody wants to do that. And I think it's kind of Obrador's time in a way. You know, I know he's, you know, not everyone loves him, but I think Mexico never had uh, a left-wing uh, president in power. So do you remember the pink wave in Latin America where yeah. all countries were, were governed by the center-left? I think Mexico never had that. So perhaps it's their moment a little bit late. It's funny because now South America is turning to, to the right and, and, and Mexico is going to the left. I, I think he will win. I think I'll be very surprised if he doesn't. Um, 
Sophia, is being rude about Donald Trump uh, amusing and electorally and advantageous, though it doubtless is, uh, actually a priority at this point? We did a show recently on the Foreign Desk, still available for download, uh, about Mexico's elections and the astonishing violence uh, which has attended them. At last count, 121 politicians have been killed uh, since September, the latest of them a mayoral candidate in Ocampo who was shot dead yesterday. Um is it possible, uh, well, should we be hearing more from the candidates for Mexico's presidency uh, about what they intend to do about that kind of thing? Um, yes, I'm. we should definitely. And I think at the moment as well, especially among Mexicans, more sort of the poorer classes, this is a very, very big issue uh, that does need to, to be addressed. Um, and obviously, you know, Obrador is running on this sort of um, nationalist populism. He's sort of targeting the ruling political class um, for their sort of ineffectiveness that we've seen Um the fact that they're quite often corrupt. And also, like we've seen, there has been these growing crime rates of which nothing has been done. Uh, They have not been reduced. They're growing year upon year upon year. And it's becoming quite a a worrying situation uh, that we're seeing sort of evolve in Mexico at the moment. So I think this will be one thing, along with the Trump thing as well, that a lot of Mexicans are looking to to Obrador to, to do something about. But, you know, one thing we do know is that, as we know with these often sort of charismatic leaders that we see that sort of rise these waves of sort of popular um, discontent and dissatisfaction with, you know, the political, the ruling, the ruling um, political party at the time. Uh, what I what I think is that you know they are often they do succeed to power and it's all sort of false promises and nothing really gets done and I don't know whether this will be you know one of his main priorities when he when he does get to office it should be one hundred percent and a lot of Mexicans will be looking uh, towards that because. I think I read that uh, according to Mexico, it is 40, 44% of Mexico cit- citizens are poor. So quite a big uh, base of supporters there for Obrador, given his rhetoric that he's going along with his his campaigning. But at the same time, the dissatisfaction that is coming from these classes is not due to this sort of inequality, but more due to um, the growing crime and corruption that, that we're seeing at the moment. So I think this is going to be a big thing if Obrador does get elected, or many will say when he gets elected, uh, he, they'll be looking for him to deal with. And Andrew, do you know why Obrador is going to win? Because he's creating an interesting coalition in Mexico from leftist parties, even some right-wing ones. It reminds me of Lula in 2002. I mean, he well, tried... That, that worked out well. well, well <laughs> yes. Well, not now, but well, but he was the most popular president for two terms uh, and because he did this huge coalition with all... T- types of parties, and I think Obrador is finally doing this. Uh, Melkin, final quick thought on this one. The other thing that struck me when we did the recent edition of the Foreign Desk on Mexico was what a big well, the disparity between the big deal of an Amer- a Mexican presidential election, which is big, and the, the relative lack of interest that the world's media takes in it. It's weird. Mexico's a huge and colossally important country, and its elections seem weirdly underreported. That's very true. I mean, it's one of the financial capitals of Latin America. Mex- I mean, Mexico as a whole, obviously, its importance is it, there's a huge disparity in where the centers of importance are. It is Mexico City. Um, you're right. I, I don't. I don't know why they're not taking as much interest. Now, I guess it's probably because you know Trump is stealing all the limelight, or perhaps because the world media has lost hope in Mexico, thinking that nothing could ever change there. Everyone's kind of decided that well, it's cartel land, and that's the way it's going to be, which is inc- incredibly pessimistic. Um, but actually, I, I'm, I feel sort of pessimistic. I, I can't imagine Obrador coming into power and say cleaning up the violence within the country. I think at some point more people died 
in Mexico than in Syria. And obviously, there isn't technically a war going on in Mexico. Okay, well, finally tonight, uh, it is a happy 100th edition to the now That's What I Call Music series of compilation albums, which since 1983 have been collecting recent chart hits, and as such amount to a sequential archive of the shifting varieties of generally dreadful music which has enticed the record-buying public over the decades. Um, It says here in the script that Faye, Mel and Sophia have different clips to play. They've put that in big (laughs) capital letters, so I can't ignore it however much... Very different. <laughs> I might, I might wish to. Um, who wants to go first? Should I go first, perhaps? Go on, go on. Go on. So I, the, the, I offered myself. The, these, these are presumably clips you have chosen from your your favourite. Now that's what I call music compilations over the years. Yes, and it's also the reason why I moved to the UK. Can we hear it? You, you moved to the UK for <laughs> that's what I call music compilation albums no, or no, for no, one no, particular for, song. For this particular band, which I'm sure is one of those compilations. Let's hear it. If you wanna be my So just to be clear, Fernando, that was what enticed you to move to the United Kingdom. Yeah, without Spice Girls, there would not be my voice here in Monaco 24. That's all wow. I can say. Wow. Really? So what was it about the Spice Girls that you saw or heard and made you think, I want to live nearer to where those people are than I presently do? Well-crafted pop songs, and, and I prefer I rather prefer the British charts compared to the American ones, because at the time there was a lot of kind of R&B or kind of some country that... I, sorry, I know you like country, but, but here the, I, there were a lot of novelty ads. And, and I just loved it. And it is, Wannabe it, is a fantastic pop song. It is not like Brazil lacks any kind of pop tradition. No, we do, but, you know, I, I prefer the Spice Girls. Okay, well, <laughs> thanks, Spice Girls. Um, Sophia, which, what was your pick from the, the rich, teeming cornucopia of the Now That's What I Call Music compilations? Well, I mean, originally I was I was going to go for a, for a shaggy number. It wasn't me. But then I didn't really feel the lyrics would be appropriate. I didn't know whether it was something we could, we could play. So instead <laughs> I opted... Um, for a more sound choice, and that was Gabrielle Dreams, because I just think it's quite a lovely song. Okay, let's hear it. Dreams can come true. Look at me, baby, I'm really good. You know you got to have hope. You know you got to be strong. Dreams can come true. Look at me, baby. It was Dreams by Gabrielle, the choice of Sophia Armadi. What was it about that particular thing, song? I, I can't tell you in particular. I just know it's one of those songs that I've always played and it will always change my mood. If I'm in a bad mood, I can put it on and it's sort of, the, the rest is history. It's nice to have a song like that. I, I, I have many, but I don't think many of them have appeared <laughs> on, on Now That's What I Call Music compilations. Um, Malcolm, were, were these compilations a thing when you were growing up or, or, or not? Well, no, yes, they were. When, when I came to UK... In 2002, I distinctly remember seeing... Which pop group did you move to the UK to be closer to? <laughs> well, funny enough, it was also the Spice Girls. No, no, no. Amazing. <laughs> I would, I'm absolutely inept when it comes to like popular music. And I kept on seeing these albums in HMV, when HMV was still a big thing here. Um, and I was like, why? What are they? I couldn't quite understand. I couldn't get my head around it. But could I just say in my defense? So we were, <laughs> we were asked to pick songs. And I got very confused. I didn't realize we had to pick a song from the list of songs... They might end up. Is this going to be? Album. Is this going to be a fifteen-minute-long ballad for the accordion and balalaika about? Not far. Not far. Not far. <laughs> I thought we could pick any song to have on our fancy mixer. So I thought, well, what song do I love? And I'm currently learning to play the piano. So, DJ, take it away.
So that's probably not been on a Now That's What I Call Music compilation. No, that was I'm Phil guessing. Collins. Just one of the lesser known repertoire. Can, can, can we have the Spice Girls on the vocals? I don't know if that would work. That'd be such a sort of Frankenstein of music. What were we actually listening to, though? That was Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto Number 2. Yeah, as as well, funnily enough, as heard on now, that's what I call music, Volume 7. No, so so you, you, you were unfamiliar with the premise of the, the clips we were choosing here? Completely. I, I, I got I, very confused. I blame the producer entirely. So. That That is the, the kind of thing they, yeah, they, they I, should have taken care of. I also, I also want to talk about the, the beautifulness of a mixtape. So, you know, if Mel wants to have that yeah, you go well, to Spice Girls and Rachmaninoff you know, comes on. I, I'm a collector. It's not only now. I have a collection, for example, of Brazilian disco boogie grooves and Swedish, <laughs> Swedish, I'd like to hear that. Swedish Schlager as well. So, Swedish Schlager? Yeah, so there's all sorts. You know, just go and find your beautiful compilation. Help the music industry. But, but on that subject, why in this day and age would anybody buy or listen to a compilation album when you can make your own? Well, because sometimes it's good to trust in someone else's opinions in a way. And and for example, I do like Brazilian disco boogie grooves, but I don't know much about it because it was from the 70s. So I'm sure there's a nice curator somewhere around the world with a nice cover of, you know, someone in a bikini drinking coconut water and, and a nice photography. And I think this is important. It's nice to have a bit of surprise as well yeah. for the disco. Let's see what happens. We are unfortunately out of time. We will talk further about Brazilian disco boogie grooves this time <laughs> next week. Uh, for the moment, that brings brings us to the end of today's show. Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Sofia Armadi and Melkin Charchogli and thank you for joining us. Uh, the show was produced by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, researched by Megan Atkinson, our studio manager was David Stevens. Music next at 1900. Marcus Hippie is in with the menu. There's more on the day's main stories on the daily at 2200. Midori House returns on Monday at 1800 London time. I'm Andrew Muller. Have a great weekend. 